to today? Yeah, just busy. Just uh, I'm working on different stories now. Some some freelancers. Yeah. Uh, I have to uh, provide them with uh, the information they need. So uh, it's all a bit hectic my days. And so, well, uh, self-employed. Yeah. I know, I know exactly how you yeah. feel. But that is, someone once told yeah. me, football never sleeps, because I was doing a job over Easter weekend. And I said, yeah. just checking, can I not submit anything on one of the bank holidays? He said, no, you've got to. And that was a, it was a nightmare. It was just a pain. Yeah. So I yeah. very quickly started thinking about yeah. things that I could do when I was in control. And I came up with this mm. football library. And, mm. nice. I, and so I note, having spoken to John, whom I spoke to on Monday... Uh, and he was nice enough to introduce me to you because I'm very impressed by this book 365, which which is um, going to be on the coffee table of the library because all these beautiful books nice. need a table. Nice. Do you have, is the, the bathtub in there? Does it, does it have the decalp? Oh, decalp, yeah. Yes. If it were to be renamed the Robin Van Persie Stadium. No, no way, okay. no. <laughs> Rather be the Kumolein Stadium, maybe Kumolein was was or Willem van Hanegem Stadium. That that would be possible if if Willem van Hanegem uh, would die one day. Um, yeah. Because in Amsterdam you also have the Johan Cruijff Stadium, and I think Willem van Hanegem was and and Kumolein were the greatest players of Feyenoord, so that would be possible. But no, Robin van Persie, I think. No, I, I noted that because the Cruijff had a stadium named after him two or three years ago. Yeah. This was the great era of Dutch football that I'm not going to presume, but I imagine you came along after the great mm-hmm. 60s and 70s um, mm-hmm. when the Dutch teams were, like the um, Glasgow teams, were really dominant. Yeah. And I spoke to Paddy Barkley, whom you may know. Mm-hmm. Paddy said that Scottish football needs to be on par with the Benelux football nations. Mm-hmm. Anderlecht and Ajax exist like Feyenoord as a club which showcases and we, we even seen that with Dortmund Dortmund are a showcase club they're like a shop window and uh, it is in that respect nice to see Robin van Persie back at Feyenoord where he began and ended his career have you met him I mean van Persie yeah several times yeah I, I know him since he came up as a young player winning the UEFA cup and I followed him along during his career, so I interviewed him several times. I, I wouldn't have presumed. I have a fun story. My dad, when uh, he split with my mum, went into a flat mm. in North London, and he turned mm. on the TV and there were some channels that were Dutch. And so mm-hmm. he figured out that the previous tenant was Robin when he moved from oh. Holland to London uh, and then mm-hmm. became the great Robin van Persie of Arsenal. And then Man United. But he he now coaches the strikers at Feyenoord, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's still there. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's, good. that's a good thing, I think. And it seems to yeah. be working because as we speak, we're speaking just before the big game against PSV, who are second. Mm-hmm. Uh, will you be at that game? Are you going to? Is it in Eindhoven or in Rotterdam? In Eindhoven, yeah. It's Eindhoven. It's in Eindhoven. Do you get to yeah. go? Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Is it expected that a draw would be a good result? For Feyenoord. For Feyenoord, uh, because they're away. No, no well, it depends on the game, but um, Feyenoord has to, has to win because they uh, they need to be fourth at least to get European football, but they 
they are aiming to become second because then you have the preliminary Champions League rounds, but uh, they are far behind PSV. So the pressure is on Feyenoord definitely, and they have to win it. Feyenoord have done well; have have scored over fifty goals, but Ajax have scored something like seventy. So would it be fair to say that once again, the Ajax of Amsterdam are going to run away with this title, or do you think PSV could run them close? Uh, no, no, it's over. I think Ajax will win the title uh, with ease, and uh, PSV will become second. It's more the fight for the second place is now more interesting than uh, for the first spot. Mm-hmm. Much like England, although I, I notice yeah. as well that. Uh, at the Cruyff Arena earlier this season, Feyenoord only lost 1-0. Uh, the result was 1-0, but should Ajax... Was it a less close 1-0 than the, the result suggests? Well, yeah, it was really close, and Feyenoord, especially in the second half, was much better, so they deserved a point. But they didn't get it. Um, but that was a good game of Feyenoord, and a bad one from Ajax. But Ajax, yeah, has the tendency this year to uh, to win all the big games. Mm-hmm. And and the other the other teams they lose points to each other, so that's why Ajax uh, got away on the table. Ajax has more quality, has more money, has more quality on the bench, so it's a logical thing. Ajax is uh, yeah uh, has really done well in the Champions League and earned money there. They sold their best players for tons of millions. Far ahead now on the on the on the other clubs. Yeah, I I don't want to talk about them too much because they are the best. But all the money from the delict. The Van der Beek, the Ziek, De Jong. So they sold four of their top players, and the other chappy, the other winger, uh, I forgot his name. Um, just all that money. Just they can buy foreign talent, but it's the academy that is so brilliant because it's it's almost that they spawn a new Van der Beek when they sell Van der Beek, and they are not afraid to promote from within. So who's looking good at the moment for Ajax? Who's the next one to go to Tottenham, Chelsea, Man United, Barcelona? Ajax um, could be Gravenberg. Gravenberg's a young midfielder. He's doing really well, progressing really well. He's a really talented box-to-box midfielder with a good shot, good technique, good passing, and a goalkeeper. But he's suspended now for doping violence, mm. uh, doping league. Yeah, I noticed that Onana, who was part of that great team who went to the semi-finals. But yes, is that the big story of the year? This uh, the Onana ban in Dutch football. Uh, It's one of the biggest stories, yes, for sure. The other one is uh, Quincy Promes, also at Ajax. uh... Promise. That's the one. That was who I was thinking of. Yeah, Promise. He was sued by a, a relative for a stabbing incident but he was sold now to Spartak Moscow he had to go to jail for one night and the um, investigation isn't over so that was also a big a big thing of course in Holland so Ajax had some affairs this season also they uh, they, they they didn't sign in uh, their big signing uh, uh, Sebastian Haller for the Europa League. Oh, yeah. So they had some affairs this season, but still they are uh, comfortable at the league and they're still in Europe. So they have a good season despite these uh, affairs. Yeah, and conversely, Celtic, whose form has dropped off in the league, they seem that the CEO is leaving, Rangers have won the league this season. I think Ajax are doing far better at dominating the domestic league 
this season than Celtic are. Maybe the pressure of the 10. And speaking of Celtic, um, there is a, a player that links Celtic and Feyenoord. I've, I've just found out that there was a chant, put your hands up for Pierre. Mm-hmm. You must have, have you sang this chant very often when you were attending uh, the ground 20 years ago? Uh, no, I didn't sing that because uh, I was already a reporter then. So uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you don't sing along in, in Holland, you don't sing along then. Um, it was my first big match, uh, Feyenoord in the UEFA Cup those days. But it was a, it was a famous chant, but the, the most famous chant is Hand in Hand Kameraden. Um, that's their uh, club song, and uh, it's always played before uh, matches. Oh, I should really... What's the capacity of the stadium? 52 oh, or 53,000. Yeah, there are big talks about moving to a new stadium that has to be built. There's a lot of opposition to it because everybody loves the Kuip. It's, it's like the, the, the best atmosphere in Holland. Well, I, the, the, I used to go to the old White Hart Lane, and that had about 50,000, yeah. and I think Spurs yeah. had to spend a lot of money on the, the new one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll monitor that. And because, yeah, history is one thing, but to modernise, is it to do with Rotterdam's location? That it's a port city? That it needs to be floodproof? No, it's just because it's 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 a bit old now. They have to have a new stadium with more comfort, with more expensive seats. Just a modern stadium mm-hmm. for the modern needs of, of a lot of people. Um, but a lot of fans they just like the old uh, toilets and uh, yeah, the old building and the old stairs and the old atmosphere. And they are afraid that the atmosphere won't be there in a the new stadium and it won't get sold out. And uh, yeah, so so there's a lot of opposition against the the moving to the new stadium and still the club isn't sure if they are going to move over although they spend a lot they are already spent millions on the plans for the new stadium mm. no it seems that it's in motion and this is a club who have I didn't know this until I looked it up 100 years in the first division um, or exactly 100 years uh, longer than any other club uh, it's got a fortnightly newspaper and a weekly TV show are those both still around? Uh, yeah, yeah. They had 20 years ago, but okay. they don't have that anymore. All the Dutch clubs have their own programs on ESPN. Oh. That's the broadcaster of the matches. But um, there's no longer a specific program uh, on an open channel in Holland. I suppose why would, why would they need to be? Because you've got YouTube channels. And I, I forgot to check if you've appeared on the club's YouTube channel. Me? Yeah. No, no, no. Not no. even, not even to promote Feyenoord. Der Erste van der Au. I'm gonna go for Au. Ew, ew. Ew. Der Erste van der Yeah. Yeah. Which... Well, I couldn't promote it via the channels of Feyenoord. They don't do that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I promoted it on the the local channel uh, in Rotterdam uh, and some other newspapers, and we we got some promotion, but not via Feyenoord. No. Unfortunately. Well, that's why I've got you here. This is the Football Library, and I induct the book, uh, as well as a series of magazines called Santos, which you edit. Mm -hmm. And they are all going into... I'll make sure they're all translated. I'll get some, like, sixth former 
or university student to translate everything from Dutch into English. Is there an English language version of the book? Not the finer book, but the Santos Stadium book um, is in English. Yes, which is the yeah. 365 book that is on the coffee table. Yeah. About 478 yeah. glossy pages, including words by yourself and John Bruin and other writers for Santos, which has just had a double issue about Maradona. It's numbered 18 and 19. So you chose to yeah. use it as a double issue. Yeah, the 365 is also a double issue. If we have something really special, like the Maradona is, 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 is a big book, uh, and the 365 is a really big book, and it has a half cover, then we go for a double issue. And uh, yeah, we always try to surprise our uh, readers. So we always vary in, in, in the way we uh, publish our issues. Uh, it has to be different all the time. I don't, I don't know how you sleep. I have two kids and uh, not that big of a deal. It's okay. not that I, well, well, the 365 was a, was a day and night job, I have to be honest. <laughs> um, there was a lot of trying to figure out how to get the right pictures for a uh, not too high price because we have so many. And the picture has to tell something. It just doesn't have, it shouldn't be a regular picture from stadium. No, it has to have something special. I think we, we succeeded along with my colleague Stuart Mosu. Um, yeah, we, but it, that was, that was a really big task because in the beginning we thought, well, maybe this is an easy one because we just have to work through all the pictures, not too many stories, yeah. but in the end, it was a hell of a job. If you go to yeah. certain places that I won't mention because they already have enough publicity even though they uh, don't pay tax, you can get it for 30% off. Um, so just type in 365, the world's greatest football grounds. The cover is astonishing. I am not as much of a football nerd. So I, I'm going to guess South Africa that is, but it isn't. South Africa on the, on the cover. It is uh, the stadium uh, in, uh, in Cape Town. Oh, it is? It yeah, it's Cape Town. It was built for the World Cup in 2010. It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful scenery. This picture, I absolutely love it, and it tells everything that we wanted to tell. We also have really old grounds, really crappy grounds that we also really love, like Fretton Park, for instance, or um, or something more posh like Craven Cottage. Uh, but we also have a, have, a, have an old pitch in uh, in Africa. Uh, just at a parking lot, but it, the picture is so splendid because you see all these guys playing on the streets, uh, really muddy streets, but they're having so much fun, and the scenery is inspiring as well. So that was always the the thing. Like it has to has something, could be anything. Also, amateur grounds in Great Britain from uh, the great photographer Liam Gladwell, who helped us out immensely with with fantastic pictures. Yeah, but we also had Renaldo Codu, who's a German um, photographer with a speciality in South America, but also in Germany himself. And he also provides, yeah, he, that's also one of the guys that has so many great pictures that we could, that we have published. Try to look for a mix. And we, of course, um, there were so many pictures you could put on front, but this one is really an eye-catcher. It is and certainly. Because of it, if you're, yeah, because if, it's a wraparound, it works really well. Mm. So 
we're very happy with it. It's marvellous, and it is one of 365 dazzling and distinctive grounds across five continents, and includes the Bombonera as well. I'm talking with Christopher Highland uh, later this week about um, his time in South America, so I'm sure he'll be interested to see which picture of the Bombonera you have used. Um, but yes, you well, say- Bombonera is one of the stadiums that we really highlighted and we, that we have a really big story about. And uh, we have several pictures of the Bombonera because it's such a fascinating, uh, photogenic yeah. uh, stadium. And Ronaldo Cadu, who I mentioned before, has, like I think, the best pictures of Bombonera. So that's why we, uh, in six stadiums, and in the luxury edition, we, uh, we even have uh, 10 stadiums highlighted with a big story about it and uh, more pictures. Yeah, that is why you needed to recruit the likes of David Winner and uh, John yeah. Bruin, who also edited. David, I spoke to, I always say that I spoke to him for two hours. I could have spoken to him all day. He is the Don yeah, Daddy of Dutch writing. Yeah. And he, he lives in Holland now. No, he doesn't. No, he no, doesn't live Paul. in Holland. No, 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 he doesn't, but... Um... Yeah, he's a really fascinating uh, storyteller and yep. we're really proud to have him on the book as well. And he didn't pick a, an English stadium. Uh, that was maybe surprising, but he, he picked the Olympic Stadium of Berlin, which he really found fascinating because of the history and the, yeah, the total look of it and the, and the really well-done renovation of it, keeping in mind the nostalgic details. That's why he picked that. And it's... Uh, a truly magnificent story from David. So we're really happy it's in the book. How many have been printed? What was the first print run? Well, we ran out of them really fast. Congratulations. Uh, Good. Yeah, thanks. And it took some time to reprint it. You always see some things that you want to improve in the first print. So it took a while to get it like we wanted first one was 6,000 and, and, and then another six, I think. That's, 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 the, that's how many we printed. That's wicked. And for Holland, yeah, for Holland figures, that's, that's really good. Yeah, you're a small, small, perfectly formed country. And you, I note that yeah. you have 11,000 Twitter followers on the Santos magazine yeah. Twitter account. Yeah. For those who want who can read Dutch, it's santosonline.nl. So it is mm-hmm. in Dutch. Uh, and you'll be delighted if you are a Dutch person or know a Dutch person, that Klaas-Jan Huntelaar is writing a column. Um, I don't yeah. know if it's this, starting this season, but there are two columns that he's written online. Huntelaar is, along with Van Persie, who's getting a lot of ne- name time today, but he's the Dutch striker everyone knows, Huntelaar. Huntelaar is a really fascinating guy. Like Van Persie, I think they are two of the best guys to interview because they really open their mind to so many different things. Huntelaar has so many different hobbies alongside football and a lot of interests in culture, in nature, in uh, food, in wines. uh, Yeah, he's music. He's a really, yeah, he has a really broad view on things. And in every Santos, um, we go to uh, uh, his cellar. I don't know, his his rooftop. Mm -hmm. And he has collected a lot of stuff throughout the years um, from its playing days uh, like uh, a corner flag I don't know if I say it is the right uh, thing but a pennant one, uh, yeah, yeah, after, yeah after, after a goal he kicked a corner flag he broke one mm-hmm. by kicking it 
And after, that's, that's typically Hintelaar afterwards. He said, yeah, I want that for my small museum. <laughs> um, so he has that uh, there. He has a lot of shirts. He has a lot of, yeah, a lot of stuff, cards that he, that he collected. So every time, every uh, issue, uh, or almost every issue, Hintelaar exposes one of his uh, collectibles from his museum. Wow, the Hintelaar Museum. Uh, he's just re-signed for Schalke. Is that because his family lives in Germany still? No, um, he lives near the German border. He's always lived there. And um, it's nearby. Um, Schalke is more nearby than, than Ajax, but that wasn't the reason that he re-signed there. It's just because he wanted to help out Schalke. Or oh, yes, they're, yeah. Position. They're not yeah, good at all. No, no, but yeah... That's typically Klaas Jan, I think. I mean, it would be easy for him to stay at Ajax and end his career there uh, because, uh, yeah, that's a team that's going well. He knows everything. It's it's a good role for him just being on as a sub and helping out the young guys. And he really felt good there. And Schalke is like one big mess. <laughs> but that's typically him. He looks for the extremes. He looks for the adventure. Jeez, I... and, he, he's, he, and he's loyal to his club that he served so long and he wants to help him out. So yeah. really respect him for that. I, I had no idea. And he's 38 this year, came through at the Grafschap and then moved to PSV as a young pro, Heronveen, uh-huh. and then went to Real Madrid, Milan. A, lot, a really good goal ratio at Ajax, about over one in every other game. And 76 uh-huh. caps for Holland. Um, but yeah, I've been to a place called Recklinghausen and I went to Dusseldorf. I went to Eurovision when it was in Dusseldorf 10 years ago. And so I was able to um, see that the Ruhr Valley and we went over to Utrecht. And Utrecht I've never been to Amsterdam, never been to Rotterdam, um, but I have been to Utrecht. And the bikes, it is amazing. It, they, you really do love to cycle over there. Um, do you cycle around uh, Rotterdam with the kids yeah we are a cycling country and uh, I love cycling also mountain biking um, but it's a, it's a great way to uh, yeah to go around your town and uh, being in the fresh open air and uh, yeah just, just just going from one meeting to, to have lunch somewhere to another meeting of course everything's different now with COVID and you can't have lunch anywhere. No, exactly. <laughs> Not even in a picnic. As a football reporter, it's terrible because uh, after you've been to a match, uh, you have to go to McDonald's or another yeah. junk food place. And I don't like that. But um, yeah, we are a cycling country. Yeah, I, would, I wish I were more proficient. I support a team, Watford, whose goalkeeper is, you may know, as the cycling goalkeeper, Ben Foster. Okay. Uh, oh, nice. So I'm sure, I'm sure Ben has looked at various cycling tours in Holland. So this book, 365, is remarkable. And I hope that in the real football library, which I hope to build one day, because Watford is a town to do with printing. It's, it's well known as the, for beer and printing. So it's perfect um, for right. football fans. Ideally, in the lounge area, I would like to wallpaper it with football stadia. Is there one particular football stadium that maybe no one has heard of Perhaps one of the ones that stands, as you say, near a church, castle, mountain, lake, ocean, or idyllic countryside. I really like the stadium Ander Aue uh, in Germany. 
especially in winter. It's it's nearby a mountain, and uh, when it when it's snowy, then then you sit in the stadium and you see a snowy mountain on the background. I really love that. Great picture by Ronaldo Kandu in the book. The new Bilbao Stadium is beautiful as well, and um, it's alongside a river as well. So if you are on the river, you can check it out. It's beautiful. In Holland, you have a really specific stadium called the Pool. It's in the south of Holland from VVV. And there's a really iconic stony stairs from uh, the dressing rooms to the pitch. The stairs is really famous there. And, and, and the stadium is in a hole down and, and there are trees around it. Uh, the Vijverberg from the Grafschap is a beautiful stadium in the woods and with a great atmosphere when people are, are allowed there. A beautiful one is in the Lofoten, is in Norway. It's, it's on an island, and uh, the drone pictures of it are amazing. If you like nature, you have to go north. You have to go to Iceland, and you have to go to uh, to Norway to, to, to check out really uh, astonishing stadiums. With the drones, it means that photography is... Possible. You can fly up as a private citizen. You don't need a helicopter. And it's remarkable for the photography. And of course, you do need some text to go with it, which you have provided in the book. 365, the world's greatest football grounds. Uh, Buy now to avoid disappointment through pitch or through Amazon. Uh, And if you can read Dutch, Feyenoord, De Esther van der O, which literally means the first of the century. Yeah, well, in 365, we have a big story on the Kuip um, in English. A great story by Michel van Eckmond. So you can check it out there. Maybe if you're English uh, or you only uh, read English, then it's there in the book. Uh-huh. Um, but I'd, I'd quite like to know because I, I don't know where I was uh, when Feyenoord beat Dortmund in the 2002 UEFA Cup final. Where were you? I was in the stadium, uh, luckily enough, was, as I said before, it was one of my first big matches. And, uh, yeah, it was in the Kuip, so so it, it had to, it, it was meant to be there. Yeah. It was meant to be that Van Hooydonk scored again because it was really his tournament. And um, it was a, a strange atmosphere because uh, a couple of days before, uh, a famous politician was shut down. Oh, um, Van Gogh. Been for time, uh, so there was no celebration afterward, or well, not a real big. No. So it was a was it was a strange game. I have to say the stadium Lofoten is called the Heading Sphere Stadium. Uh, it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it, it probably helped in the UEFA Cup final that Dortmund had Kohler sent off after thirty minutes, so you could pick holes easily. But still, Kohler, Roshiki, Lemon. Dortmund were a good team and the, the chap who lifted the trophy Paul Bosfeldt who since he retired from playing seems to be to have faded it well, he's a coach um, at go ahead but he's no he's not a coach he's a technical manager oh okay technical director yeah so he's like their version of Frank Arneson exactly and uh, one of the other players of the final case in London is the coach of go ahead Eagles now so oh, they are both right. there and go ahead Eagles uh, also have a great stadium, a really old stadium, a really lovely, nostalgic stadium with a great old Anfield Road-like fence. It's called uh, Adela's Horse. It's also 
in the book, and uh, yeah, it's also one of my favorites. I would I would love to go, if not inside, then look at it from the outside. But the Feyenoord qualified for the Champions League in two thousand and one. Uh-huh. finished third in the group and it yeah, came down to the sixth game in the group because yeah. whoever did better that game would advance. So yeah. is the most important match of the UEFA Cup run actually the sixth game of the Champions League group? Yeah, you could say that. It was Craig Bellamy, I think, uh, who later on always flirted with Feyenoord to come to Feyenoord because he was so impressed with the stadium coming from a pretty player that's really special but he kicked the final out and uh, the final were down and out and they, they were really under pressure and then then this amazing run in the race could start up with a well maybe the most crucial game was uh, against Freiburg I think it was the last 32 mm-hmm. and Van Hooydonk scored an unbelievable free kick in their stadium just at the sideline almost um, and everybody thought, well, he's going to give it a, a high kick in front of the goal. But um, that was in his intention, but it flew through the, the top corner, the, the most far top corner, one of the best goals, I think, in, in the history of this tournament. And it was a really crucial one for Feyenoord to come along. Mm. And then the rest of the time, the teams that were beaten... What was more satisfying, PSV in the quarterfinals or Inter Milan in the semi-finals? Well, PSV was more dramatic uh, because it was on penalties. The equaliser from Feyenoord was just in the in the in the latest minutes by Van Hordong again, who also scored the decisive penalty. Yeah, and PSV always regretted losing that game because they felt well after that Inter Milan wasn't playing with the best players so the road to the final was open but also Rangers before that was a really uh, dramatic ending because Van Hooydon played for Celtic he really pumped it up and uh, scored again so um, Inter Milan didn't play with their best team but they came really close in the end when they started to press Uh, but uh, final survived really survived that game it was a magical tour and where is the trophy? Is it in the boardroom? Or no, they have, a, they have like a museum in the stadium. Big prizes, the European Cup one from 1970. But also uh, a seagull that was shot from the from the air by uh, by a goalkeeper, Eddie Keitel, um, <laughs> is there. <laughs> so it's a really fun museum to, to, to visit. Oh, that's great. Yeah, whenever I cross the waters to go to Rotterdam, and I should really, because my mum was born in Hull, and I think you can still get a ferry from Hull to Rotterdam. Yeah, so maybe, I think so too. Maybe yeah. that's, it's actually yeah. easier to get from London to Hull via two ferries than it is to go up by train because you, you can't get a direct train from London yeah. to Hull. But I would love to go because I don't know so much about the Rotterdam team, the Feyenoord team of the 70s uh, and 60s. I do know what Johan Cruyff did to, to spit in the eye of Ajax. Um, yeah. Did Feyenoord fans like Cruyff before he came to join no, them? No, 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 they didn't like Of course, he was everything that Ajax was, and Ajax had so many success. I mean, Feyenoord won the Euro- European Cup 1 in 1970 as the first club. From Holland, yeah. But then Ajax won it three times in a row, 72, 73, 74. 
and they really uh, ruled the world and uh, Cruyff was so dominant he was the best player in the world at the time and maybe forever um, mm-hmm. and he was the typical Amsterdam boy he, he grew up just near the stadium the old stadium of Ajax de Meer so there was a lot of skepticism about it but um, yeah as soon as he started playing and started directing that team even though he was uh, in his 30s and it was his last season yeah, he was so influential, helped out a young Ruth Hullet. Oh, uh, of course. And, and all, all the other players became became better players because of Christ. Yeah. They lost 8-3 in, at Ajax and everybody was laughing at Christ. But he said, well, we'll win at home. We'll become champions. And, and so he succeeded. <laughs> that was one of the the great big tricks from uh, from the maestro. We're, we're now without... Uh, Pelé is 80, but we're without Cruyff and Maradona. I think it was yeah. Jonathan Wilson said that Maradona was the best player, but Cruyff changed the way people thought about football because of what he mm-hmm. did when he brought the Ajax way of life to Barcelona. So he's more influential. Yeah. I suppose having done this double issue on Maradona, you could do a very similar double issue on Cruyff. They wouldn't have the drugs. It would have all the kind of the fallings out with people. Um, when when Christ died, was the general tenor of the coverage, the king has passed, but some aspects yeah. of the king were a bit difficult. He was quite a difficult monarch, Christ. Yeah, for some people, because he had a really strong mind and uh, everything had to go his way. Yeah, if you get to know him, I didn't really know him. I interviewed him two times. He is very strict in certain issues. He won't compromise on them. Yeah, on the other hand, he was a really nice, interested guy, really down to earth to everybody. And that's that was also his strength. I mean, he was still one of the people. Also, that's also been said about Maradona. But Cruyff didn't flip out like Maradona did in his latest years. Cruyff just tried to reform his old love Ajax tried to help Barcelona, but it has to have to be his way or not. And mm. that was always the case. And then always you get enemies, but uh, there's a lot more love for Christ than there is uh, hatred. There's no yeah. hatred. What was the reaction when Christ said that the World Cup final of 2010, the Dutch were playing anti-football? Well, I agreed. I was in that stadium in uh, Joburg, also a great stadium, Cotton Bowl. I didn't like the way we played. It was really defensive. On the other hand, yeah, well, the players weren't that great then in uh, 74 or or 88. It was like realistic to play that way with four defenders and two really defensive midfielders before that and really physical play especially in the final. If you look at the quality of the both teams, um, it was quite logical that it that it went that way. Absolutely. Although, was it Robin, Mr. Sitter? Robin could have scored yeah. in normal yeah. time. Yeah, but then he redeemed yeah. himself. And then, it, then he uh-huh. missed a penalty in the Champions League and then uh-huh. won the Champions League for Munich. What's the view on Robin? Yeah. I can't remember where Robin came from. Is it PSV, Robin? Robin is now at FC Groningen. He returned to football, but he, he, he he's not able to, to become fit again. He only played uh, a few minutes. 
but it was quite heroic of him to come up back from his retirement to help his old love Esther Groningen. Ah, Groningen, okay. Um, but um, yeah, the view on Robin is really positive because he, you know, everybody's talking about that miss against Casillas, who had a toe to his to his kick. But um, he won so many prizes in so in, in in the top leagues in England, in Spain, in Germany, and uh, he decided. He was deciding decisive in the Champions League final. His injuries were, were were always coming back, but he always came back. He has so much willpower. He was such a, a super professional player. And in the later days of his career, he was a really uh, anemic uh, leader of the team, especially in 2014 when Haaland became third. He was like the big big star but also the big leader so we are really proud of, of Robin and of course um, your friend Hintelar will have spoken at length about Robin did they live very close to each other in Madrid the Dutch contingent when they were there yeah they were all in Moraleja I think it's the neighbourhood yep. where all the players live so they, they really live nearby but Hintelar only was there for half a year oh so, of course okay. then, then he left for Milan yeah because there was a a new uh, a new era with new stars, new Galacticos. Yeah, it's a conveyor belt over there. Um, we we creep towards the present day, but you mentioned Holland in 2010, Holland in 2014. Euro 2020 is coming up uh, in 2021. Mm-hmm. It's North Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Oh, I looked up earlier. Austria and Ukraine. It looks like no Van Dyke, but it does look like. Um, Leroy Fair and Stephen Berghaus will be picked. Two players who have passed through England. Berghaus famously leaving Watford with one assist. And Berghaus is now the captain of Feyenoord, mainstay in the Dutch team. Um, Could it be, like Leroy Fair, some players more suited to a kind of football that isn't dominated by billionaire um, oligarchs and they can play their best football away from England, Fair and Berghaus now no longer in the country? Well, it's not sure if they go to the tournament and it's not sure if Van Dijk won't be there. We're still hoping that Van Dijk will make it. Berghaus, Berg, Berghaus as we say, mm-hmm. yeah, he had a troublesome time at Watford. You know, I think English clubs just buy, 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 buy because they have to get rid of the ludicrous amount of TV money. And uh, that really is ruining uh, the game, I think, because there are so many great players on the bench or not even on the bench uh, because they have to have big selections and they don't really look for who they are buying. I mean, that's really a pity. I think Frank Arneson would disagree. Arneson, who was at Chelsea and Spurs, um, but maybe Mm -hmm. he'd he'd say that he just had a bigger budget to play with. Yeah, they have a big budget, but if if you look at Chelsea now... I mean, the players that are on the bench that we don't get to see anymore because Chelsea has to have such a big group. It's, it's nonsense. It is and crazy. It's, it's, it's going to cost really fantastic players like Hakim Ziyech or Kai Havertz. Eh? You don't see them play. Berghaus or, or, or Jan Baksh at Brighton. You mm-hmm. don't get to see them play. I mean, get your hands off them and let them play football. I know they pay big salaries and that's why the players go over there and they have big stories like they really like them and they really follow them and the competition has to be big but uh, 
it's 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 gone too far, and that's that has costed Berghuis uh, one or two years of his career. Yeah. Now he's twenty nine, and now yeah, I think big clubs won't take the risk anymore. But luckily, it's luckily enough for for Dutch uh, spectators because they get to see Berghuis, who is a really talented player, a really temperamental player. Um, <laughs> Yes, but uh, yeah, I'm really happy he's back in in our league. And it's always nice to see him playing in Europe and and scoring and representing yeah, yeah. Holland and scoring for Holland. And Fair, who played for Swansea and QPR, is also a first teamer at yeah. uh, at uh, Feyenoord. And there seems to be a big Dutch core, as you'd expect for a team who plays in Rotterdam. But oh gosh, um, now Cop. Now Cop. Uh... <laughs> is that the pronunciation, or am I miles away? Yeah, you're miles away because I don't know who you're talking N-I-E-U-W-K-O-O-P. about. N i e u w k o o p. New cope. New cope. Hot haps is an easier one, or hops. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Diemers, Linzen, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. Marsman, uh-huh. the goalkeeper, and uh-huh. um, I'll go for Malakia. So those are the Dutch members of Feyenoord and they're managed in, we're now in the last weeks of the footballing management career of former Rangers and PSV and Dutch manager, Dick Advocat. What's he like to interview? Yeah, yeah he's great. He's so much more relaxed than he was when he started out. He's, he's a really uh, yeah, funny guy. He's really still, uh, he's 73, but he's really fanatic like a young dog. He's always... Um, He's always coaching really loud and without spectators. You can hear and see that really well. Really fun to 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 watch him. It's 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 not nice for him that his career will go out. I'm afraid, like a, like a, yeah, with no how you say the lead candle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think they yeah they will end uh, second. Is is the highest thing that they can aim for, and that's that's just. It's not what he deserved. I wouldn't rule out that he will show up again. Yeah, I agree. As a, as a, as a coach of a national team, because Advocaat can't live without football. And um, he will return always until, I don't know, until he dies or something. He is the, the Dutch Neil Warnock. Warnock keeps retiring and his wife exactly. keeps telling him, yep, you got this job, go. And he's now in Middlesbrough. Uh, yeah, Neil Warnock. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And Sam Allardyce yep. always comes back, and guys like that. Yeah, mm. they, 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 they like the tension. They like to work with young people. They like to, yeah. When Alfacat sees a team play, and he thinks, well, maybe I can do better. And then they call him. The phone is always on. Yeah, you never know who's going to call. He says to his brother, when they play tennis. And Advocaat has no team. And then a team calls and they said, OK, I'm coming. <laughs> they so, drops, um, drops the racket, gets on a plane. Yeah, um, exactly. So do you feel the same about Louis van Gaal? Do you think van Gaal is really retired? I know his wife is very keen. No, that's true. His wife uh, keeps telling him, uh, <laughs> let's live this nice, easy life. They live uh, a lot of... Uh, they live in an, a beautiful house uh, at the coast of Holland. They have a beautiful house in, in the Algarve in Portugal. Um, I don't think he's coming back, but you never know. Maybe as a coach of a national team. But um, 
he has less trouble of staying out of the game than than Africa for sure. Mm. And why would he? He's a genius, like Cruyff. He's a a flawed genius. And um, Van Hal is in the long line of Dutch coaches. Uh, Feyenoord, um, which includes Ari Hahn, the great Ari Hahn, Ruud Gullit, uh, for about 10 minutes, Yap Stam. Did it just not fit, Yap Stam? He came in at a really tough time because there weren't a lot of players that were fit. Yeah, it was kind of in the build-up of a team. He didn't get the results and then the pressure was on. They had a terrible game at Ajax. You could see Yap Stam suffer, getting older every minute, mm. it seemed. <laughs> like a year older every minute. Maybe he wanted too much from the players. The players still hail him as a good coach. Just wasn't the right time, I think. But Stom really has to prove himself like a coach, on the other hand. And he's gone over and to Afrika, North America. Afrikaat came in and started winning and, 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 and stopped losing and had a really big winning streak or not losing streak. Yeah. So he proved that the players weren't that bad. But the players were fitter when Afrikaat came in, so it wasn't really fair on Yapstam. Can you shed some light that Manchester City are paying Giovanni van Bronckhorst not to manage anywhere else? <laughs> I have no idea, but it will be a lot, because a team like Manchester or, or the City group, they spend money like water, and I think they will get a, a lot of money back by getting so many talents to their clubs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't really, I'm not, <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm not really interested in as well. I, I, I'm not really fond of this uh, model that the City Group has created by buying all these clubs and uh, dropping everywhere players. And uh, It's increasingly, it's, a, it's spreading the assets and sinking the talons into the various continents. They have a team in Belgium, don't they, City? Yeah, yeah, I went there last summer. It's Lommel. Yeah. It's a really old, nice club. I was thinking, we'll just let it be a nice old club with their old traditions and, and a really old, nice stadium. But yeah, immediately good players started coming in. Or well, maybe it also rescues these kind of clubs because they don't have a lot of money and maybe they will lose their professional license. But mm. I'm just always afraid it will become copies. Yeah, yeah we've seen it in Melbourne. Probably a lot of uh, only players will come in, fly in, fly out. A lot of foreign players fly in, fly but out. This is, this is what's yeah. happening at Vitesse. Vitesse, who are currently fourth. Mm-hmm. And Vitesse are... Part owned by Chelsea, Abramovich has shares in them. Bits of a mis- mm. mis- mystery how yeah. the construction works, but almost every year they get a they get some big talents from Chelsea. Um, now they have Armando Broya, who is a good striker, but he's the only one that's playing. So in the past they had more players from Chelsea. Yeah, now they have to Asuka, yeah. try to, with some German guys coming in, they, they are trying to rebuild themselves and getting more of their players of their own in the team. Well, I wish them well. Uh, I also wish Alkmaar well, but not as well as Feyenoord, because in the very, it's a German thing to do. The manager signs a contract midway through the season for the next season. But Anna Slut, Slut, Slot. 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 So Feyenoord effectively have bought a manager who's been sacked for doing well. 
he's effectively on what's known as gardening leave until he takes over at Feyenoord. Officially, Azet broke the contract because they were pissed off. So I think maybe he will get some money because he was fired there. Yeah. That was one of the big, big things this year because uh, Azet is really a club on the move. It's a really ambitious club. It wants to attack the traditional top three. And they were uh, level with Ajax when the competition was ended because of Corona. They only had a, a lesser uh, goal-scoring difference. So they were really on a move. And Arne Slot did a great job there with, with a lot of homegrown players who are now Dutch internationals and in a really attractive type of play. Yeah, that's why uh, he standed out and finally wanted to get him. But it was quite surprising because AZ were thinking, well, we are maybe in a better position now than Feyenoord and our coach wants to go to Feyenoord. What's that? And so they fired him. Mm, no, I would as well. I would have done the same thing. Do you think yeah. the first thing Slot is going to do when he gets the job is to tell Frank Arneson to convert Lucas Prato's loan deal into a permanent deal? No, of course not, because Prato is not playing at all. He has played only two matches and uh, it hasn't worked out at all. Ooh. It's also not the type of player that uh, Arne Slot, I think, would prefer as a central striker. Is he going to change formation? Do AZ play the same formation as Feyenoord? Yeah, they do, but Slot will put on other accents for sure. Slot has a really good record at the clubs he worked with for putting in a really nice attract attractive type of play with young players. He's proved that he can implement that, but Feyenoord is a really difficult club on the other hand, and he hasn't got a really big name. So it'll be interesting how this will work out. Mm. And they have no money to buy new players as well. So so it's loan deals and um, doing what Ajax done, just selling top talent. But it, it seems to be Berghaus yeah. won't go anywhere. Uh, I don't know. I think he will. Because uh, mm. it will be the last year of his contract and uh, they have to sell him or extend it, I think. I think he will like another adventure and then finally can start all over with new players and a new uh, hierarchy in the team. You don't, you don't think that 38-year-old Klaas-Jan Huntelaar is going to sign for Feyenoord? Feyenoord never, Okay. No. <laughs> they don't like him at Feyenoord. <laughs> he scored too many goals against Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, so the goal, the final question, um, and you are the author of a book about Feyenoord 20 years ago. Next year will be the 20th anniversary of the UEFA Cup final win. It's been 50 years since the European Cup win. Is Feyenoord's goal to challenge for the champions or to challenge realistically for second place? So kind of effectively what's happened this season. You've got PSV, AZ, Vitesse and Feyenoord challenging for second place? I think Ajax is so far ahead in terms of money and in terms of reputation. And if they become champion again, they will get to the Champions League again and they will get a lot of money again. <laughs> so they will only be further ahead. So uh, Feyenoord really suffers from COVID because they have a big stadium and a big income from uh, spectators. It's different than in England. In England, you have the TV money that's first. And in Holland, you still have the most money from your spectators. Well, championship clubs, if you're, if you're a Watford or a Bournemouth or a Norwich, 
you only get six or seven million in TV and a lot more. So I, I think yeah. Eredivisie is, yeah. is similar to the Championship. Yeah, it's similar. So they have to get the money from uh, from uh, the spectators. They have to get the money from big sales from from the players. And and Feyenoord doesn't really succeed in selling players for top amounts of money. And Ajax does. Even I said does that better. Mm. So that's their big problem. And they they really suffer from COVID. They asked again to their players to uh, to, take a to, wage drop, uh, to drop oh. a mile, yeah a, mm. a wage. Let's finish on a happier note because I don't want to finish on. <laughs> thank thank you, Bart. Thank you for that bad yeah. note. Um, Three six five, yeah. the world's greatest football grounds, is the latest in the series of Santos magazines. It is SantosOnline.nl. If you can read Dutch, and then you can stick it into a Google Translate and have fun with that. But what's the next Santos issue going to be, or can't you say? I think it will be something uh, for a preview for the European Championships. We're, we're, we're chewing on that theme, trying to do something original with it, but we're not really sure yet. Ah, it could well, be then... something totally different as well. We always want to surprise and want to be creative. Yeah, we're still chewing on it. That's wicked. And it's just come to my recollection that there is a very good representation of Dutch footballers in the football library. Ruud Hullet has written a couple of books. Uh, there's that book, Ajax Barcelona Cruyff, um, which is two chaps who have who spent 50 years talking to Jan Cruyff about his career. Dennis Bergkamp, Stillness and Speed, written with David Winner, or David Winner did the translation into English mm-hmm. of the book. And then Marco van Basten brought out his memoir um, last year, which... Uh, a, did you get a chance to read it? And B, at one stage before injuries took their toll, Van Basten was the greatest player in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. It was such a pity that he had to end uh, his career and he really had to come over that to uh, to find new ways to get some satisfaction out of life. He, he thought it was coaching, but uh, he really didn't think he was fit for that so he quit it and that was yeah he was really open about that and really harsh about yeah his own qualities as a manager and that's really rare in football now he's analyzing games and uh, yeah i think he likes that but it was yeah it was a a big tragedy that he had to end his career so mm. so young i knew i knew he scored the goal at the euro uh and he was a fine, fine player. But yeah. when I read that he had to retire so early because his legs were just kicked to death, because this no, was... Oh, the... it's an ankle, a big oh, ankle. ankle problem. His ankle. Yeah. I... Um, yeah. Do younger Dutch players still hark back to Van Basten, or are they more... Would you say that among the younger generation, a, a young Rotterdam fan of Feyenoord... Are they more likely to like Van Hooydonk than Van Basten because they've seen more clips of him? Well, my generation um, from 78 is, is from Boston yeah. because uh, I was 10 when he did that thing in 88 uh, in Germany. Uh, he scored so many goals. He was such an elegant striker as well. In, in Rotterdam, mm, they, they, they really like the, the cult heroes here. I mean, in 93, they became champion with a guy called Josef Kiprich. He was from Hungary. He, had a, he was 
a little bit um, overweight. He was he didn't really look like a photo model, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> and he wasn't fast, but he scored goals at decisive moments. And uh, it was funny. He had a funny way to talk. He had a funny way to walk. And um, those are the guys, I think, in Rotterdam became really popular alongside Van Hanegen, Aulijn, uh, maybe Van Hooydonk as well. But they really like those kind of players. Oh, Kipridge. In Rotterdam. I've just looked up Kipridge. He looks like yeah. a kind of... There are British soap operas about the working class going on holiday yeah. in Spanish resorts. Exactly. That's in, what he looks in like. People, yeah, in Rotterdam is a, is a harbour city. People really identify with the working class. Mm-hmm. And he looks like a working class hero. Yeah, in Rotterdam they like guys like him. Oh, wow. Well, I'll try and get him... Has he written a book? No, there were talks about that. I was asked as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's in Hungary now. Um, I, I'm not sure if he has a book out already, but uh, there were talks about uh, getting him another book or a new book or a definite book. Uh, well, so, I, will, I will campaign for that. And um, yeah. if it's in Dutch or Hungarian or English, um, maybe I'll ask Jonathan That's... Wilson to help out. But I will look for your byline, Vlietstra. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I only yeah. know that because Captain Beefheart, the musician, his name was Don Van Fleet. So that is oh. about the only word I can pronounce in Dutch, apart yeah. from Van Dyke, um, de Jong. I think Holland will go, certainly if Van Dyke plays, hopefully the last four, if not the final. Um, a pretty easy group. You've got to synthesise the young players coming in with the mm-hmm. um, senior players and maybe you'll come over... Uh, by the ferry to Wembley Stadium to come and do you cover the Dutch team as well as Feyenoord? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. will cover the Dutch team. Yeah. Well, I'll cross my fingers yeah. for you, and uh, I hope you can come over to Wembley for the Euro final in July, when there will be more issues of Santos. Is the next one June? Uh, the next one is due, I think, in June, yeah. May, June, just before, just after the competition is over, just before uh, the big Euro madness will. Something to look out for. And maybe Ajax will make the final of the European team as well. In the meantime, uh, I'll give you your football library card, which you can use at your leisure, and I'll let you go and work on your many, many deadlines, Bart. Thank you for for coming to the library. Thanks for the talk. Yeah, it was nice. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library! Shh!